0: It's February first, twenty twenty four. This is a Room Now podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. This week on the podcast, it's hip to have hip replacement. Uh pregnancy, how does it come out in RA? And we'll talk a little bit about why rheumatologists are leaving academia. At the top, we'll discuss being hip. I saw a report this week about in you know that great medical journal, People Magazine, that the supermodel Paulina Portzakova is having a hip replacement. And I thought, that'll be good for business, meaning it helps me when I can tell my patients who are contemplating joint replacement surgery that either I've had it or that people I know have had it or that even better, famous people have had it. For many years, I talked about, um, in trying to convince patients to go ahead and have hip replacement surgery, that the famous comedian Bob Hope had his hip replaced at age 91, and he lived, I think, another seven or eight or nine years um, and didn't die from anything related to the hip or his heart. Uh, So um, that led me to post that as a tweet, along with all the other celebrities who've had hip replacement Um, Not on the list was Mark Cuban, but also on the list was Steve Carell from The Office, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governor, as Artie calls it, um, Michael Douglas, uh, Billy Joel, Jane Fonda, Ray Charles, Eddie Van Halen, Steve Perry, Lionel Richie, Alec Baldwin, and, of course, Paulina. You may want to use that in a conversation with your patients. This particular study that we to talk about next looked at an issue we know about, but don't talk a lot about, and that is uh, anterior atlanoaxial subluxation in RA. And as you know, that's a separation of the DENS from uh, a C1. Um, and if it's more than three millimeters, it's said to be significant. This was a, um, an analysis where they did x-rays on 240 consecutive established RA patients. I want to say that they had a disease duration around 10 years. And they looked at cervical spine, multiple views, flexion and extension views. And they found that uh, anterior atlanoaxial subluxation was seen in 10% of patients with a mean distance interval of 4.2 millimeters. The interesting thing about this report is one-third of those patients with this finding had no neck pain. So you can't rely on neck pain as your... Um, indicator to do the x-rays or to know where you stand. Obviously, you're going to need to do x-rays in patients undergoing general anesthesia, especially if they have established RA. Uh, In this study, the subluxation was predicted by being thin, being CCP positive, having erosions, and prior joint surgeries. I have seen a number of reports in the last six months, especially talking about drug-induced Syndromes. I'm kind of fascinated with those um, drug-induced syndromes that cause musculoskeletal symptoms, and I like this one. And I think it was in JAMA Dermatology about uh, dupilumab, which is being used for atopic dermatitis. It is the IL4IL13 um, monoclonal antibody, and it has been associated with. Uh, A musculoskeletal syndrome so amongst 470 patients with atopic dermatitis on Dupilumab, 36 were referred to rheumatology, 26 uh, had MRI or ultrasound proven uh, either enthesitis synovitis or tenosynovitis Uh, of 20 of them uh, well no, 16 were mild of the 26, 4 were severe and 6 would be moderate all of them responded to nonsteroidal, or lowering the uh, interval, or the dose of depillamab, or stopping it. So, another drug-induced syndrome. Again, I just what I remember from recently is checkpoint inhibitors are associated with arthritis and enthesitis. Uh, Voriconazole—that's a new one for me—with synovitis, sino- enthesitis, and periostitis. Again, don't um, a patient has a new finding, especially tenosynovitis, enthesitis, periostitis mono or legal arthritis, look up the drug that they're on that's new um, because you'll be surprised at the potential for that to be a drug-induced syndrome. I like this report, although I think it's kind of reinforced our thinking, and that is that metabolic syndrome increases the risk of developing uh, rheumatoid arthritis. I'm not just talking about obesity, which we know increases the risk of RA, but this study of almost 400,000 people in in the UK biobank found incident RA at... um, in about 5,000 patients. Um, When they looked at what was associated with incident RA, they showed that having the metabolic syndrome, and it's all as defined, um, increases the risk 20 by 22%. But of the five features... Four of the five features of metabolic syndrome were independently associated with an RA risk. So that would include waist circumference, increasing the risk by 21%. Increased triglyceride by 12%. Decreased HDL by... Increased it by 31%. And hyperglycemia increased it by 15%. Having one or more of these was additive. Having the whole syndrome, obviously, also increased risk. Um, We need to be treating more than arthritis, don't we? Uh, A Greek study... Attempted to analyze their population who might have had difficult to treat RA. They used the ULAR definition that we've talked about here before. And amongst 1,264 established RA patients, 251 of them, or 20%, met the definition of D2TRA. Predictors were younger age and onset, fibromyalgia, osteoarthritis, no change in DAS in the first six months despite giving a biologic or targeted synthetic DMART. Also contributors were mental and uh, emotional diseases, chronic pain disorders, and metabolic disease, all contributed to um, long-term worsening in these people. So I've often taught that one of the presenting features of rheumatoid arthritis is carpal tunnel syndrome. Now got a study, 235 patients that looked at the frequency of that. So these were, I guess, consecutively newly diagnosed RA patients, 235. Um, Most of them, two-thirds were female. How many do you think had carpal tunnel as a presenting feature? Boom, 5% or 11 patients. Um, That was a little bit below what I would have thought, but it's not that far below. Uh, These patients were more likely to be older, female, seronegative. And have longer symptoms at the time of presentation so many of you here in the united states know that the biden administration uh, has been making efforts to try to control the cost of drugs they passed legislation last year about um the government's going to now take over a negotiation on drug pricing for the 10 of the top the, the top 10 drugs in the united states the problem is it's going to take the 2026 to get this done i don't know why that Is the case, but I wanted to remind you that when this administration will be renegotiating Medicare's most costly drugs, two of the 10 are ones that you prescribe. That includes Stellara, which has an average Part D annual cost of $119,000 per year. The second one is Etanercept, um, with an average Part D cost of $58,000 per year. We need more measures to decrease the cost of drugs. We talked about that in our last podcast, talking about Florida now being able to import drugs from Canada and legally do that. Uh, And I think that that's another smart first step. Um, That and fixed prior authorizations, the government will earn its pay as far as doctors are concerned. A recent report in dermatology literature looked at a meta-analysis of the risks of JAK inhibitor use with chronic inflammatory skin disorders and showed that short-term use of any of the JAK inhibitors was not associated with an all-cause risk of mortality. Um, In fact, it was about 17% lower, but it crossed one. It was not increased for MACE, major adverse cardiovascular events, or for VTE events. And that's talking about short-term use in derm skin disorders. That should be comforting to some of you. Uh, The French looked at a large cohort of uh, RA patients who had pregnancy and looked at adverse pregnancy outcomes and found in an 11-year study and follow-up that RA was associated with adverse pregnancy outcomes and it was significantly increased and more more likely to be seen with active uh, RA. So they had 11,000 patients. They compared that to 10 million non-RA pregnancies. They had 75% live births in RA patients. That's good. But RA patients had more preterm births, more low birth weight, and more C-sections, you know, with a 40 to 84% increased risk for those adverse pregnancy outcomes. Those of you who study and are interested in pregnancy data should know that citation, and you can find it in the show notes for today. I think that the um, item that got the most buzz this week was this item I posted on Wednesday, about one third of academic physicians are 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 intending to leave academia. This is a report in JAMA, where they did a commissioned a survey of like thirty six thousand physicians and uh, and academic physicians, and they had responses from about half of them, and they showed that thirty eight percent met criteria for burnout, thirty nine percent said that they were professionally fulfilled but thirty three percent reported a moderate to greater intention to leave the academia in the next two years so burnout um, and um, was a big driver of this uh, it increased the odds by fifty two percent depression uh, had a negative impact on uh, also increased the odds of leaving as did um, um, Having work affect your personal relationships also uh, uh, drove up the risk. Factors that led to people wanting to stay in academia were: was the presence of supportive leadership behaviors, peer support, personal organizational values alignment, uh, perceived gratitude, COVID organizational support, and EHR helpfulness. So, if you're one of those latter people, you probably like academia, but. There was a lot of comments. um, Many felt were disrespected. Many felt that were overburdened and were just felt to be there to churn out the numbers. Um, It was pointed out that many of the younger physicians uh, often take academic jobs with the idea of leaving soon thereafter. So it's a job they take right after they get out of their fellowship. I want you to know that when it comes to Uh, professional fulfillment as something they rated amongst these 18,000 people, rheumatology was about the lowest, really low. And the burnout numbers were um, like in the top quartile. And the number intending to leave was also in the top quartile in rheumatology. So if you're in academia and rheumatology measures have to be taken because Uh, We're going to have a big enough problem in all of practice with a tsunami of practitioners wanting to retire. We can't afford many leaving academia. The last report comes from Paul Emery's group who's done great work on early arthritis, um, collecting patients between 2008 and 2020, 451 were enrolled in their CCP study, uh, and a quarter of them had subclinical synovitis by ultrasound, or MRI. When they followed those patients up 12 months later, um, they they showed that about half of them, uh, subclinical synovitis persisted, but in half of them, it resolved, and it went away. And this is an important message, right? When we're talking about these early presenting people who don't yet have synovitis on exam, and they have CCP or narthralgia, if you do ultrasound or MR and you find evidence of synovitis, it isn't necessarily a slam dunk that they're going to have RA, or that they do have RA. Right? It's the idea of let's MRI everybody, and you'll find MRIs are abnormal in a lot of people for no good reason. It may be fleeting. So, Again, that cohort of clinically suspect arthralgias or preclinical RA, if they have arthralgias and they're seropositive, one-third will go on to develop RA. In this cohort, when they had subclinical um, synovitis, 48%, um, 52%, I'm sorry, well, went on to develop RA. So it went from 33 35%. So it does augment it, but it's not a slam dunk as half of them will go into remission. A great presentation at Room Now Live by Hani uh, Gavali um, talked about their cohort that they followed uh, with clinically suspect arthralgias. And while um, uh, the, of the seropositive patients, I think 40%, he said, went on to develop R8. 40% went on to go into remission. So the idea of being in that category means that you just have to follow patients more regularly and bring them back at least every six months or with rules about symptoms to be concerned about. That's it for this week on the podcast. Go to the website, check out these citations and more, and we'll see you on next week's podcast. Take care. Bye.